Hi, I'm Louise. And I'm Mary Kay. And together we are Novel Gazing, the podcast that talks all about literary fiction. We are recording today's show on March the 3rd. It is a bright and sunny day here in England, and I hope it is a bright and sunny day wherever you are as well. On today's show, we are discussing current affairs and news from the literary fiction world, how we figure out what book to read next, which is a more complicated task than you might think. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're also talking about where to find our next reads. Mm -hmm. And finally, we are sharing our latest reads. That was a lot of read in one (laughs) sentence. So you just have to forgive me for that. Uh, Basically, we're talking about books. Um, Mm -hmm. If you like what you hear, and we hope that we do, uh, we would love it if you could leave us a review or a rating wherever you pick up your podcasts. Yes, it really helps other people find us. So especially if you like us, we want you to leave a review. (laughs) But either way, we (laughs) want to know what you think. Yeah, that'd be Um, great. But before we get into all of the juice of this episode, let's hear about one of our lovely sponsors that make this possible. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Taming Seven is an epic and unforgettable love story in the international best-selling and TikTok phenomenon, The Boys of Tom and Series, from Chloe Walsh. So Tommen's cheekiest lad, Jared Gibsy Gibson, has always been a comedian, but inside he is haunted by events of the past and he uses humor to cope, hiding his true self from the world. Then you have Claire Biggs, who is the epitome of sunshine. She's always loved Gibsy, her brother's friend and her favorite neighbor. She also has always seen a side to him that no one else seems to notice, and she becomes determined to tame her wild-at-heart childhood best friend. So The Boys of Tom and Series is an internationally best-selling YA romance series that has taken TikTok by storm. It's perfect for readers looking for new adult slash crossover romance, dual point of views, friends to lovers, marathon worthy TikTok books, and angsty tearjerkers. Taming Seven is published today and it's the fifth book in the series. So make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Tor Books. So if you are a fan of epic fantasy, if you're a fan of Scott Lynch and or Joe Abercrombie, but you want something a little different, you want a hero who's like a bit of a mess, then The Silver Blood Promise by James Logan is for you in its Academy dropout slash disgraced noble heir Lacan Gordova's life is in shambles. All he's got going for him is one, he is a card sharp of considerable skill and two, a lot of maybe potentially a little too much wine. So they're, you know, those are the positives. So when the bizarre murder of his father robs him of even the off chance of redemption, Lacan decides to make amends another way. He's going to unravel the mystery behind the killing, even if it takes him to the underbelly of Sophrona, a city of danger, secrets, and merchant princes. Finding the truth is one thing. Finding the truth and staying alive is like a whole other thing. So make sure to check out The Silver Blood Promise by James Logan on sale May 7th. And thanks again to Tor Books for sponsoring this episode. And for our news slash current affairs section, which I will be leading, um, I wanted to talk about this article that I found on LitHub. Uh, and 
Uh, if y'all have been listening for a while, you might know that I am a big Toni Morrison fan. Like, mm-hmm. she is everything, and I love her deeply. Um, I did not know, however, that she was Catholic until I read this article. And no, when I was reading it, I was like, I wasn't surprised at all. Like, I was, it was... That makes total sense to me that she was Catholic. But this article um, talks about how it influences her um, her writing or influenced her writing because I'm sure that y'all know uh, she passed last year um, but never stopped writing. Like she was prolific even through her old age, which is, you know, amazing. Um, mm-hmm. But did you have any thoughts about that article? I thought it was really interesting because you don't often hear the ties between um, religion and the creative output tied mm-hmm. together so, so neatly. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a really articulate piece in how it talks about um, how her Catholicism influences her work and how you can see the markers there was a point in it i think where they talk of where they talk of catholic writing mm-hmm. and that having a particular stylistic and aesthetic and i thought actually yeah maybe it does like i come from a very right. um unreligious background uh so a lot of this is a slight magical mystery tour to me <laughs> um but i love this idea of being able to pick out someone's belief and find that it's embedded in their creative work. That's really interesting to me. Yeah, it was really interesting to me too. And I don't think that I, it's one of those things that I noticed, but didn't realize that I knew until someone said it, if that yeah. makes sense. Like um, the, the book Song of Solomon, that's like the sexy part of the Bible. So <laughs> when I, I remember picking up that book and being like, Oh, okay. And then you have like the character Corinthians. Um, it, it's just, it's a lot of like, I don't want to say they're Easter eggs because they're not meant to be hidden, but it's like if you're groomed to notice that kind of, not even, it's not even a trope, right? Like it's a set of beliefs. Yeah. Like if, you, if you're, if you know it, you see it. And if you don't mm-hmm. know it, it doesn't take anything away from it at all, I don't think. Yeah, you don't miss something, do you? You still got that story that you can have. Right. And I think that that's really cool. And I loved that um, they even quote some of her interviews, which I don't know how I missed them, but uh, where she says, like, uh, she saw the Passions of the Christ when it came out and she wasn't shocked at all. Like, it wasn't shocking to her because she even talks about how in a Catholic church, the cross is different. In a Protestant church, you Mm. have, like, the very clean cross but in in uh i mean it's just it's a different sort of way of looking at it uh which is interesting yeah. because i mean i consider her one of i mean beloved is my favorite horror book like it's definitely yeah. literary fiction but it is also a horror book and i might have made this not even a joke but <laughs> i might have said this before but i was telling my friend like you have to read it it's amazing and he was like you didn't tell me this was horror. And I was like, well, it says on the, on the cover, like that it's set in slavery. So I don't know how you could like think it was anything else, but yeah. Um, 
So I, I noticed that about uh, the interview, and there was another thing too that I just thought was uh, very interesting, which is that she had a lot of respect for Flannery O'Connor, who is okay. a famous Catholic writer, and is not a very well-known one because uh, she's considered Southern Gothic, and so she kind of gets overshadowed by like Faulkner and some of the other yeah. uh, bigger names. But uh, I also love her writing, so that. It was another thing where it's like, oh, of course you like each like, of course. Um, but I didn't know it until somebody brought it up. So if, if you're interested in like the ways that it influenced her writing, uh, we'll definitely link to that article in the show notes. But that just came out, uh, I think, yesterday. And it was uh, I, I really love reading that kind of stuff, especially yeah. um, I'm always a little wary to know too much about authors that I love, because what if I don't like them as a person and then I can't get past it to enjoy their writing? That is but a th- thing, isn't it? My it, God, it, yeah, if me, you find out is. something. Oh, and, my God. Yeah, and I don't know how healthy willed ignorance is, but sometimes I just would rather... I don't know. It's it's. I mean, especially in in a time period when people are getting called out for their atrocious behaviors and mm. should be, that I can't I can't not know things. But I also yeah. feel like, and uh, forgive me if we've said this before as well, but uh, people who are in the public sphere don't have the same amount of grace that they don't. They're not allowed the same amount of ability to make mistakes as regular non-famous people are i'm going off on a little bit of a tangent here but this is no, just no, what no. i was thinking about when i was I, reading it i up. think it kind of like ties into um what you were saying there just reminded me of like roland Barthes and the idea of the death of the author mm. that like the text exists as this singular independent thing right. and like i love roland Barthes, and i would me recommend too. him in a heartbeat to Same. like anybody um but i'm not wholly sure it's like as you say you it's struggling to distinguish the the independence i don't know if that's the right word the independence of the thing that is created from the yeah. person that has created it I, I am definitely of the mind that the work should stand alone like you shouldn't okay. need anyone else to explain it that would be like going to a museum and making the artist stand by their painting and tell you about the lighting tricks that they use like they shouldn't <laughs> You shouldn't have to explain what you did. If you have to explain it, you didn't do a good job of it. But I also think, I mean, and if you go far back enough, right, everyone was terrible. Like we just have a a higher standard of personhood today, which we should have. So it doesn't, to me, decrease the value of a work, but it does make me not want to give them my money. Yeah. That's the thing, isn't it? You're like, you can still respect or recognize or understand what they've done. But then you're like, do I financially buy into this? Like, that's a big distinction to make. Right. And when, I don't know, when it's like the estate of an author, I can get a little, (laughs) David Sedaris has that joke about like, being interested in the and horrible past and being able to validate it with well it was a long time ago <laughs> so, um but i do think that like if that person isn't directly i mean i don't know i just this is something yeah. i think about and how responsible it is to what's our responsibility yeah. toward works like that no i think it's something we'll return to probably over the next sort of 
as these shows progress. Right. It's a really potent issue, isn't it? Especially with um, literary fiction in yes. that it's, it's meant to deal with this sort of thing. And it's meant to deal with who you are and what you are in the world and what that can be. So, yeah, this is really it's I don't think it's something we can tie up neatly in a bow, so to speak. Mm-hmm. No. So um, on that note, shall we yeah. move on to the next article? Yeah. Awesome. So I wanted to share with you all um, an article about the hottest new literary genre, which is apparently Duma Lit. <laughs> yeah. I know, right? Uh, so, yeah, essentially Duma Space Lit mm-hmm. is climate change, but much more dire and pessimistic. Basically, this is what happens when it all goes wrong. So this is like um, dystopian climate fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, things like The Road probably is your yes. best uh, point of reference for this, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, I think what was really interesting to me in this piece is this idea of us having to explore these worst-case scenarios, mm-hmm. like to try and figure out what is going to happen or what could happen if things all go wrong. And I suppose it's something we're trying to work out at the moment globally mm-hmm. with these issues of... Um, things like the coronavirus and mm-hmm. that going on in that people are and kind of naturally leap to worst case scenarios and kind of um explore an idea to its worst possible outcome because we need to we need to know these things Absolutely. in a way to work against them right mm-hmm. uh so yeah so what do you think um the next big trend is going to be if you think that like Duma lit is the mm-hmm. new thing that I'm not quite sure about. Uh, but do you like? Do we care about trends? What do you think the next one would be, or do you think there even is is a trend? Um. So that's a lot of good questions. I'm gonna try to <laughs> take a, them. That's about seven at, at once. Um, <laughs> so do we even care about trends? That's where I want to start because that's a yeah. fun one and it's low stakes. So if I mess it up it's fine and you can correct me and then we can course correct and it'll be great. Um, so do we even care about trends? I want to say that we do, but not because, or what by we, I mean like as a culture and by we, I really mean I do because, okay. So for one, I just want to make an analogy to the pumpkin spice latte real quick. <laughs> I love this. Go, okay. go ahead. So it's amazing. It's a dessert. But it's a beautiful drink. It's fantastic. And I don't think that it, for me, is something I like because everyone else likes. I think that a lot of people like it because it's awesome. So I think paying attention to what people think is awesome is an important thing. So like if if Doomerlit is going to be our next big trend, that's good for us, right? Because it means that people care about the well-being of our planet and the upcoming generations. Yeah. So I think we should care. And if people are focusing too much on things that are dangerous, that's something we need to pay attention to, if that makes sense. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think that as readers, it kind of, I mean, I know we have the phrase of like, art imitates life and life imitates art so it's kind of holding up maybe a circus mirror but a mirror to our interests and concerns potentially especially in horror like we've had so many trends of like vampires mean you're afraid of strangers 
zombies mean right. you're afraid of the government. Like it's a very trend of like a generation. Uh, like we had a big true crime boom for a while because you're scared of your neighbors. It's like scared of people you do know. And this doomer literature to me sounds like we're scared of the repercussions of our previous generation's actions. Like they're affecting yeah. us and we need to kind of correct what they did and also make sure that we don't make any bigger mistakes <laughs> for the next generation. So I yeah. think that that's, it's, it's interesting, right? Like what trends say about our culture and our attitude towards the things that we're afraid of. Yeah, I think um, it's worthwhile mentioning that the delay in the publishing process, like publishing takes a long while. So long. So long. It's so frustrating. (laughs) I finished this book a year ago and it doesn't come out until May. What? Yeah. (laughs) That's crazy. The time frame is is another world. So you've got to remember with things like um, articles about trends and uh, the latest current fad or thing. is that these books were being written two, three more years ago mm-hmm. and they are only just coming to the shelves now. So that is an important thing to mention at this point. And the other thing that I thought, and this is a discussion um, we were having kind of in um, children's literature land the other day, Ooh, me and okay. my colleagues. Um, children's literature land, it's full of kittens and rainbows. <laughs> um, that in a way, I think these climate change books that explore the worst possible case scenario are people almost trying to understand their culpability in these scenarios Ooh, okay you know because we, we we write stories right to figure out who we are and what we do mm-hmm. and to story and to discuss the world we live in but i always get and this is very much something you see with um children's books at the moment about climate change is telling the kids how to do things and how to change the world and how to save it Mm -hmm. when in a sense it's not the kids who should be doing the work right right it's the adults and the generation that's messing it up Mm -hmm. that should be doing the heavy lifting at this point um so i wonder if things like this are a way for adults to kind of rationalize their part within a situation that they don't have any power in or that they don't understand or that they don't um figure out or realize themselves as people even though they are supposedly adults and people in power <laughs> and i'm putting like um, i thought that's I know where this... the sentence was going to end even though they are supposedly yeah. adults <laughs> full stop <laughs> right. imagine inverted commas around everything i just said <laughs> like adults and uh, power but yeah i think there's like a real struggle here to figure out who's in charge of making these decisions and what are the stories that we can tell about them? So, yeah, I do think that there's something... I'd be interested to see where climate change fiction... Uh, I'm going to call it that as opposed to Doomalip. Okay. That makes me sound like like I'm christening someone out of Game of Thrones or it's, something. It's very clickbaity, that, it is. that sort of yeah. genre title. I mean, I'm down with that if it's for a good purpose. But uh, to your point, I remember learning about recycling in kindergarten. And then mm. coming home and asking my mom, why don't we recycle? And I just, I think that it's a way of reverse engineering responsibility. Like when a small child asks you, 
Yeah. Why is the refrigerator cold? It's like, oh, mm-hmm. I've never, I've literally never thought about that. Like, <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I should probably <laughs> know that because we're used to knowing more than children. You know, mm. like we have more knowledge, but I think kids are generally, they see things in a different perspective. I don't know that they're wiser, but maybe smarter because they are not set in their beliefs already. I wonder if books like this then are admitting that we don't know in a sense, like we don't have the answers that we think we should have. Mm-hmm. So something yeah. to think about for sure. And we it love is. it. Also, listeners, when y'all get in touch with us, we love hearing what you think. So if you are wondering if you are, if you should message us on Twitter or if you should let us know that you want us to talk about something, do it. We love that. Yes, say hello. It makes us feel like we're doing a good job if we make you think about something cool. So, Tell us your favorite Duma lit book or yeah. whether the title makes you wince a little bit and you want to call it <laughs> climate change fiction instead. Right. Okay. All right. Um, we also want to, at this time, let you know about one of our fabulous sponsors who makes all of this possible. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Charming, easygoing, and rich, Xavier Castillo has the world at his fingertips. He also has no interest in taking over his family's empire, but that hasn't stopped women from throwing themselves at him. Unless, of course, the woman in question is his publicist. The cool, the intelligent, the ambitious Sloan Kensington, who is a high-powered publicist who's used to dealing with difficult clients, but none infuriate or tempt her more than a certain billionaire heir with his stupid dimples and laid-back attitude. She may be forced to work with him, but she'll never fall for him because he's a client and that's all he'll ever be, right? Right, girl, like we all know. So just in case you didn't know, author Anna Wong is the best-selling author and book talk viral author of the Twisted Love series, the King of Sin series. Miss Wong, gotta go on on, okay? Make sure to check out King of Sloth by Anna Wong. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. All right. So the uh, big talking point that we wanted to do for today was talk about how we actually find our next reads. What do you do? It sounds more straightforward than it actually is, right? You know, Agreed. when you have a book to pick up on a shelf, it's <laughs> it's not that straightforward. Right. Uh, so, 
Yeah, there's a couple of different options, and I think it's worthwhile shouting out initially uh, the Women's Prize shortlist that was announced today. Yeah, so the Women's Prize list, for example, uh, it gives you a list of... uh, a long list of authors in a particular genre. Uh, they're all women and there's some amazing texts on there. So that's a really useful way to find out what's going on. And especially with literary fiction is that it's it's such a diverse category. If you read specifically within one genre or one particular element of it, you will miss a vast amount, I think. Mm-hmm. So yeah, award lists are intensely helpful. Mm-hmm. But um. Yeah, I think mainly it's libraries for me. Okay. What it's do you browsing. do when you walk into the library? What do you do? I, well, <laughs> I go and have a bun at the really nice cafe. Okay. Uh, and then I think about the books. Basically, it's browsing a lot of it. And this is where we do it again really well in the kids' book world. But I don't think we do it as well in adults in that we understand the kids browse by visuals Mm -hmm. so in your library you'll probably see the vast amount of the kids books especially the picture books and for the children that are less um developed in their literacy skills Mm -hmm. the books will be displayed face out so you can see the cover and they can be attracted by that um yeah let's not pretend that covers don't matter i know we're not supposed to judge a book by its cover but like where else are you going to start well, yeah, exactly. And like for adults, all we just get is the boring spine. Right. That's and true. So that, there should be more than that. So yeah, I think um there's a a space for some proper shelving um skills to happen with adult fiction for sure. But yeah, so it's anything that's like face out, that looks interesting. Uh, it's browsing and it is talking to your librarian. I love librarians and they will love to talk to you about books ask them questions, um, talk to them, find out what they're reading. And if they don't want to talk to you about this sort of stuff, then find someone who does because it's it's part of the job and they will love doing it. Mm-hmm. So what about you? What's your first sort of area that you hit for? Well, I definitely used to tell my students, go to the library, walk up to the person sitting at the desk they're not going to look up at you unless you approach them first they're just introverts they're nice they want to talk to you you're not bothering (laughs) them um and then ask them like here's what i'm recent like they needed to do it for research so i would definitely encourage them to be like go to the library here's something that you might not know about the library is free and by that i mean you already paid for it you might as well it use is it. surprising how many people don't know that <laughs> yeah so if, if you don't and i quite understand that a lot of people maybe don't know that the library is a free place you can take the books mm-hmm. away and you can bring it back and there are so many people that don't ever realize that right and i think another thing that and this is in the state of georgia but i think it is also in many other states that if you already know of a book that you want your library will order it for you from another mm. library and you can just return it there so even if your library doesn't have the book that you want you can still get it through them so yeah. if so if you don't want to go to a bookstore and risk spending all of your money which i totally identify with oh then gosh yeah you can find it <coughs> excuse me in other ways and then still get it through your through your library. So, um, generally the books that I want to read, like come 
to me. And I know that that's kind mm. of a cop out. Um, but I do love getting my recommendations from people like an actual person. So I know that by the time y'all are listening to this, um, AWP, which is the association of writers and writers conferences, uh, writers, writers, writers program. Wow. Let me try that again. The association of writers and writing programs conference will have already happened in San Antonio. There was some debate about whether it was happening, but um, just walking through that book fair is like the high of the scholastic book fair that you've been chasing ever <gasps> since you were a child. Yes. So anytime you get to go to a festival, a lot of times mm. the actual authors will be there. Um, there are local ones, which I like more because they're more intimate. Like people actually want to talk to you. You can make new friends and connections there. Any festival is good. Um, and then my favorite thing is when I go to a bookstore and I'm getting a book and the person checking me out is like, this is a great book. You're going to love this. Yes. Um, and so I'll be like, good. I'm glad you're saying that. What other books do you know of like this one? Or like, yeah, that's I, found, the thing, isn't I found this one through that. Did you read that one? Yes. Okay. What else do you like that's like that? So finding like a trustworthy source yes. is such a benefit to me because here's the thing, right? When someone recommends a book to you, they're like, oh, I, you'll, you're going to love this book. Like someone recommended to me the documentary Cheer the okay. other day and uh, she was like, you're going to love it. And I was like, will, will I love it? Because it sounds like exactly the thing I would not like. So <laughs> tell me why I specifically would like it. Are you saying it just because you like it or like, do you actually think Mm. I would like it? And to a lot of people that's really off putting and confrontational, which means to me, you like it. You're just defending it and you think that other people should read it. Uh, But I'm very fussy about which books I actually read because I only have a certain amount of time and I'm a slow reader. Well, that's it, isn't it? You can only sort of have so many pages in front of you at once. Right. And I've come to the point where like, I'm adult enough to be like, I don't like this. I'm 50 pages in. I'm not finishing it. Mm. I had that quite recently. I seem to, this was actually from um, browsing the shelves. I was picking up a couple of titles that I thought might be of interest for for this show. Mm -hmm. Um, And I got sort of about 50 pages in. That seems to be like the magic mark. And it well, was when... that's when you've done your due diligence. Like, yeah. first 10 pages just thought, might just no. mean you're in a bad mood or whatever. Mm. But anyway, you were saying. I know. Well, yeah, I just thought, no, I'm done. Like, I'd learned more about the, um, what was it, the female character and the state of her ovaries <laughs> and the very detailed description of her body. And I was like, no, I'm just done. I don't have time for this. This is awful. Right. Um. Yeah. So 50 pages is your mark. Push yourself on a little bit. Work past the initial kind of, oh, my God, mm-hmm. I'm not in the mood for this. Right. But then, yeah, step away if it's not working for you. We've all got better things to do. Right. I feel like the first 50 pages are like the pilot episode of a show. Mm. Like it really just I mean, and it shouldn't be. But pilots usually are kind of sucky. Like, they just, they're trying to do too much in the beginning. Yeah, they've got a lot of heavy lifting to do. And it's like, no, just give yourself a bit of time. It's fine. Um, Yeah. And then I also think, like, something can be good 
very good and I still hate it. So I'm not saying like the book is bad. I'm saying I don't have the energy for that one in particular. So I tend to invest in books that someone whom I trust as a recommender because we have similar taste or even if we don't, they're like, I did not like this book, but I immediately thought of you and that you would. Like, and that's this, pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, this book, um, Ghost Wall, came out, uh, I think, last year or the year before. And I had three different people whom I trust be like, you're going to love this book. You need to go get it right now. So okay. I did because, you know, I trust their judgment. And they're like, it's real short. It's, it's folk car. And I know you're kind of on a kick like that right now. But you should go get it. And so then I did. Like, I... I went that afternoon and got it and like finished it in two days because they were right. So I think Uh that's a big, the big uh, source for me about brand new books. And the, the other thing, and I know that this is going to sound like an advertisement, but I don't mean for it to Um, book riot has a um, recommendation program. So if you don't have Mm. people like that in your life, whose, whose taste you trust, um, it's a very detailed process about which books they recommend for you as a person who did it for a little while. I can tell you, like, we really read all of your questionnaire and th- they'll give you the recommendations that they think will fit your taste. So I think that that is a really good resource. If you're like, I don't have anybody who reads in my life. I'm trying to get back into it. Yeah. Um, that's a really good source. And we can link to that in the show notes, I think. Um, yeah. It's so, a really good gift to yourself, isn't it, as well? Almost, I think kind of so, saying, Look, yeah. I'm going to take this seriously. Yeah. Um, so I, it seems like you and I are in the same kind of boat, Louise, about it's not about finding a book to read. It's about which one in this massive pile I'm going to do next. Oh, my God. So talking of like TBR piles, mm-hmm. uh, which sounds, um, yeah. Mine was getting big. Like I had, mm-hmm. um, the problem was I live near lots of bookstores, which is not <laughs> helpful. They keep letting me in. Um, so like I'd go out and get the shopping or whatever and come back with um, an extra book that happened to accidentally mm-hmm. on purpose fall into my bag. Right. <laughs> uh, it, it's a problem. It's like a medical issue. Um, so yeah, I kind of got to the point where I had to pile up all of these books and because I quite enjoy reading a lot of vintage things I picked Mm -hmm. up some uh lovely annuals from like 1911 and 1912 recently oh wow these yeah they're not small though they Mm -hmm. are massive beasts so I had to pile this up on the middle of my desk in the most inconvenient place in my world that I could find that so that I started to address this wobbly pile that was rapidly starting to take over my life. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, put your pile of books in the most inconvenient place you can <laughs> That's find. That's smart. Ah, and then at last you will start reading them. So I'm just looking over at it now, and I've got maybe eight or nine left on there to do, okay. uh, plus Les Miserables, which is never leaving me because, like... That's a tome. It's an epic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's it's the only way that I managed to deal with it. So I get that for sure. Um, I did. I Marie Kondo'd my shelf last year. My shelves, mm. I should be honest. 
Um, <laughs> Tell the I, truth. Right. Uh, which helped me. That episode is the one that I liked the most where the guy is a writer and he's like, but my books. She said, you should only have 30. And I laughed in her face. I mean, not actually. <laughs> like, I laughed at the screen. I was like, I'm going to go through 30 books. Like, n- no, that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But um, it did help me, like, give, give away some books that I was hanging on to because I felt like I shouldn't get rid of them versus that I was actually going to use them. So yeah. that was helpful for me. And the thing about it is, like, worst case scenario, unless it's a sentimental thing, you can get the book again. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? If it's in print, I'm fairly happy about getting rid of it. Mm-hmm. If it's not in print or it's, it's you know, there's a book on my shelf that I picked up from a bookstore in the middle of New Zealand and I'm not going to be able to pop back there. Right, like, that's different. Tomorrow to get it. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think that uh, that's a good thing is like not, for me at least, not having an overwhelming amount of of books that I quote unquote have to read mm. um because that's overwhelming and it makes me just want to rewatch the office like i don't <laughs> i don't enjoy it you know um so what i've been trying to do lately is um i, I do my best to read a book before the author comes and speaks in my town so that's yes. like my oh, that's my deadline yeah. right so like for example i just found out that grady hendrix is coming on a book tour to decatur um at the beginning of next month, which means I'm going to read his book before he gets here. Like that's my, uh, yeah. that's my deadline. So that's how I choose like which one to read next. Um, and another way, and I forgot to say this earlier, um, but the best way for me to find books that I'm almost positive I'm going to like, or at least respect is mm. anytime that an author who I love gives a list of like must reads yeah because i want to write like the people i love to read and yeah, exactly yeah so when carmen maria machado's list of must reads led me to sophia samatar's tender mm-hmm. i was like jackpot yes this is exactly <laughs> what i do so i'm like reading my way through that list as well um yeah and most of the time i think that authors are really happy to pay it forward Like, Mm. oh, here's one of my books that I just, like, anytime I'm feeling like my voice isn't, you know, doing well on the page, I'll go read and, like, type up a few, like, I think Hunter S. Thompson used to do that, would, like, type up pages and pages until he felt like he hit his stride about, like, oh, I can get the words out now from just books that he uh, respected or wanted to write like. So, yeah. I mean, even if it's just a few, like, authors typically have, like, their touchstone kind of books that that they like to revisit yeah that's like um julia cameron's idea of the artist's state isn't it where she says that you have to treat your creative side to something creative Mm -hmm. you know you have to feed your creative soul so finding these books from someone whose creativity you've bought in that you find some alignment with Mm -hmm. and then finding their curated ideas and their sort of their reading lists it's it's a journey isn't it but you know that it's going to be a good positive thing right yeah so i really like that too and then um can you say again who who said that is she an an author as well it's julia cameron we'll link to um, her book in the show notes but she wrote a book called the what was it the artist's way where she talks about um 
how to be an artist and how to feed your creativity and how to keep writing and creating and whether it's art or drawing or dance or or writing or whatever Mm -hmm. and it's a really interesting book that I've recommended to a lot of people in the past but what you were saying there about you know these books feeding your sort of artistic side really reminded me of her of her work I love that and I, I I just want to take a second too to say that like even a book that you hate can motivate you to be creative like I've read books before and been like okay if this can get published like I have no I should have no problem finding someone who will do mine you know like it's kind of motivating uh-huh. in that way too but um yeah but yeah that's mostly for like assigned reading like in school but yeah no I was chatting about this with a friend the other day and we decided that annoyance is like actually a very good motivational factor (laughs) I agree because you either move toward pleasure or away from pain right and Mm. pain is more motivating really like (laughs) to get away from it it is so yeah read things that make you angry but then make something brilliant out of it yeah and tell us about it because we want to hear we absolutely want to hear from you um did you want to talk about the review process oh yeah i think um so do you do you i've got a question for you though before we go ahead with it okay do you read sort of um print newspapers anymore honestly not very much yeah so i think this is quite a specific thing okay related to print newspapers so for example i get the times uh which is a british publication uh once a week Mm -hmm. i also get um private eye quite regularly which and um every now and then if i'm feeling really ambitious i'll hit stuff like the london review of books and the times literary supplement and things like that these are all print publications in the uk um that specifically deal with book reviews literary fiction um work of all different genres so is it like uh kirkus reviews is it that kind of yeah okay yeah but um they all have a particular character and they all have a particular sort of um vibe private eye is a satirical magazine oh okay um, but in the back they have a really interesting book review section and there was uh one of my favorite ever book reviews was in it and the uh i'm not sure how well this will come across on audio so please forgive me if it doesn't um but they were talking about the author's ability. Um, they were talking about the author's tendency to write one-line paragraphs for chilling effect. <laughs> so they just they just dropped like the words for chilling effect in a one-line paragraph and then moved on to the rest of the review. <laughs> Genius! And it was the it was the sassiest review I've ever read, and I loved it immensely. That's great. So, yeah. Um, but these papers all give you a very specific quality of book right they all recommend the things that that literary that literary editor that person in charge of those papers uh does yeah so these um the the private eye the times and um all these various print publications they tell you basically about what that literature that literary editor wants you to hear okay um so certain of them the times has a very particular leaning towards like non-fiction towards history for example so the more diverse distinct reads and especially those from um small press publications feature very rarely so you sort of have to get these reviews but bear in mind it's a very curated list of what's happening in the world 
Um, and the Private Eye also has a really fun um, yearly feature where they talk about log rolling in book reviews and recommendations. So that is when, um, for example, if I'm an author and I'm married to another author, but we use separate names, mm-hmm. and if I, for, if I recommended that other author's book mm-hmm. in a book review without sort of confessing that I'm married to them and they're stood next to me, mm-hmm. As I write this review. So Private Eye kind of teases out all of these and goes, oh, what a coincidence. Mr. Smith recommended Mrs. Smith's book. Mm-hmm. And it points out all this um, slightly uh, tongue-in-cheek recommendations. So, yeah, I recommend that if anyone's yet to pick up um, something. Yeah, if anyone's after that sort of thing, I think it's really great. That is cool. It kind of points out the nepotism or potential. Yeah. I was like, nepotism, that's the word I'm thinking yeah. of. Cool. Okay. I think we hit all of the talking points that I had about where to yeah, find definitely. books. Okay. Yeah, if we've missed anything out that you sort of particularly do, if you've got some sort of secret wizardry way of finding books, uh, tell us about it, because we'd love to shout it out. We would, yes. So what are you reading right now? All right, so I am entering Bronte land. Uh, I've always been a bit iffy about sort of bonnety books, (laughs) Um, primarily because, and I spoke about this in our um, episode zero, that Mm -hmm. I struggle with things like Jane Austen Mm -hmm. and things like that because I'm just willing them to find uh, punctuation, (laughs) essentially. Uh, And I like a more coherent sentence than one that goes on for three days. Right. Um, But I am very much slowly creeping up into the world of like Charlotte and Anne and Emily and loving it because these books are starting to talk to me in a way that I don't think they spoke to me even a year ago even a couple of years ago so I just finished a graphic novel called Glass Town by Isabel Greenberg which is all about the Bronte juvenilia so the um stories that they told about Gondol and Angria um, the miniature worlds they created and the sort of the relationship there and it is stunning it is incredibly literary in the quality of how it's told it's um a story about grief and loneliness and memory and stories and I love a story that talks about story making and how we tell stories to survive in a sense so yeah I'm I'm sort of slowly trying to work out which Bronte to read next after this because it's really it's really um, done a lot of work for me in this area, and I think that I really want to pursue it. Oh, cool. Yeah, so I love it, and I really recommend it to anyone who's wanting more about uh, the Brontes. Okay. We're going to link to it in the show notes, right? So they can find yes. it? Okay. So if you're yeah. driving or whatever, everything's okay. Just go to the we show notes. You. We got you. We're taking your notes for you. What about yourself? I am reading Samantha Schweblin's newest book little eyes which is very creepy uh the premise Mm -hmm. is there are creatures that are like they're not furbies but that's the closest thing i can equate them to they're they're basically small robots um and there's a, a dweller and a keeper so like if i went to the store and got one of these robots i would be the keeper and then someone else is controlling the robot in another country a stranger that i don't know is has a camera and is controlling it and they are the dweller oh. 
And I, so when I was thinking about reading this book, I was like, who in the world would buy that robot? Ah. Like, where you don't know who's in your home? Who would do that? So it's interesting, though, because people have different motivations for them. So there's, like, a robot who uh, is, like, a lonely older woman. So she's controlling the robot in, like, a young girl's home. So it's like she's taking care of another child, basically. So it's it's really interesting to me how that horrific concept can also be really helpful. Like the, there's a, a nursing home that buys the robots themselves. So they're like pets. So it's interesting to me about like people's motivation. And obviously it is at any moment going to take a turn for the worst because that kind of anonymity only brings out the worst in people typically. So, right. I mean, just look at the anonymous comments on literally anything on the internet. People are terrible when you let them not take responsibility for their actions. So, yeah, but it's a a really interesting concept, and her books are amazing. Uh, Fever Dream was the way I found her and then found out that she had another book coming into English translation. It's fantastic. She's amazing. I want to be your friend. Oh, brilliant. (laughs) And again, we will tell you about these, so please don't sort of pull your car over right now and run into the hills screaming that you need to buy a book. (laughs) Yeah, we'll take. Go home, finish your errands. Yeah, as we say, yeah, it's it's kind of about like finding books in the way that works for you, and not being influenced or bothered about the way that works for other people. I think. I agree. Yeah, so we talked about various different routes. Um, it just reminded me as well when you were talking. Um, I once met um a person who found out that I enjoyed uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer Mm -hmm. and they trotted out their 10 favourite episodes and then like just stared at me going, what's your 10 (laughs) favourite? And I was like, I can't even respond to that. I'm far too British to cope with this encounter and I'm just going to have to back away slowly. Uh (laughs) So yeah, make it work for yourself and um, yeah, hold on to that, I think. I think so too. Um, so thank you all so much for listening to us. Uh, thank, thank you to you. our sponsors as well. Don't forget to subscribe through however you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends about us or tell your mom mm. about us. That would be great. Yes. We're very pro mums. <laughs> yeah. So where can they find you online, Louise? So you can find me at uh, didyoueverstoptothink.com. And I'm also on Twitter at ChaletFan. And this is Mary Kay. You can find me at MaryKayMcBrayer.com, but also on Twitter at MKMcBrayer and Instagram at MaryKayMcBrayer, which is super confusing, but they're all my name or some iteration of it. If you type it in, it'll pop up. Okay. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you in a little while. Bye. Bye. Bye.